Every time you pick one up, make sure you say a prayer for the Airsoft Ministry. That's really funny. Actually, they had Airsoft uh, this last Friday, and uh, just a quick announcement, 170 guys and gals here on campus, all different ages. And of those 170, 68 were new for the first time. So it's just incredible what God's doing. And they got to hear the gospel. Nate, Nate shared his, his, uh, his story and his testimony, and uh, the word's getting out there. And, it's, and then it's they fun. shot each other for hours. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Praise Amen. the Lord. Well, I'm excited to be here with Pastor Chad, and uh, we're going to be tag teaming the message this morning. Um, and it's entitled From Generation to Regeneration. A little play on words that Chad thought of. Um, he is the creative type. Stop it. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, just the idea of we as parents, we as a community of believers, whether you're a parent, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're an empty nester, we're all a part of bringing up this next generation. We all have a voice in that. And um, the exciting thing is, is the life change that happens. And one of the things that I, I am solely passionate about is life change, spiritual life change, and, uh, and life change in general. I love to learn. I love growing myself personally. Uh, I love to uh, just get better at what I'm doing and learning more and uh, one of the, the fun projects, one of the new hobbies I've picked up this year uh, is gardening. And uh, I don't know if you knew this, but YouTube is full of information about gardening. And, um, and so, um, but I live in a two-bedroom townhome. And uh, no, no, like, actual, like, patio, that's it. And so this is our little balcony that we have, and I have now covered it in pots. But I first started, I was just going to buy a couple of those topsy-turvies to hang from the things. And you'll see it in the next shot, my topsy-turvies. The things that you hang, like, you know, strawberries, you know, and tomatoes. And, and by the way, that, la that far one, far the green one, is an herb garden now. I am growing herbs. And, yeah, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, I know. I know. And all of you will be receiving gifts this year. They will all be plants. I just want you to know I'm, I'm, now, doing, I'm now doing cuttings and, like, replanting, like, cuttings. Come on, this is exciting. They're, I know. It's getting a little crazy. But as you can see, my patio is now covered in pots. And it's just, um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, and I'm growing everything. I've, I just wanted to grow some salsa. That's it. And I was like, hey, it'd be fun to have salsa this summer, freshly grown. And, and the next thing I think I'm going to learn about is canning because I'm going to have a lot of tomatoes. So, so um, yeah, it's all right. I have windowsills now covered with seedlings. Oh, it's just awesome. Praise the Lord. Um, but just talking about the idea life change, it's so much fun. There's just something to garden. I don't know. I've, maybe I lose my man card for that, but I don't know. I, there's just something about gardening and planting seeds, little, little tiny rock things, and sprouts coming up. There is something to that life change that takes place. And I can't wait to eat the fruit of my labor, of all these plantings and, you know, coercing my relatives to give me their empty pots that they have. And, and you know, it gets crazy. Like, I... I I now love fishing, so I've been looking at like how you can grow aquaponics, which is like you grow fish at the same time you grow plant. Yeah, that's not going to happen. My wife put the kibosh on that. So, um, but, but there's something to life change, and there's something to seeing our kids. I have a, a six-year-old and a one-year-old who will be two shortly, and I'm praying for him to turn six because, man, he is, he is a, a fun toddler. And, uh, 
But there is something about spiritual life change, especially in this next generation. And as we think about raising up this next generation and transforming their lives to become what God wants them to be, I thought about, Chad and I developed these four points that we're going to look at this morning. And there are four points, but the first point that I want to address is that if we're going to raise up this next generation to be followers of Christ, we ourselves need to be disciples of Christ. We need to be discipling ourselves first. There's no way, and I find this with myself, there's no way that I can pour my life into my daughter and raise her discipline and, and guide her and teach her and instruct her and show her how much she's loved by me and how much more she's loved by God unless I'm growing in my walk with him personally. And so one of the things that, that we need to understand just right off the bat is the definition of a disciple. If you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus gives us that as he finds his first disciples and calls them into ministry. He's just beginning his ministry and he's out for a walk along the Sea of Galilee and he sees some fishermen. He sees Simon, who will be later named Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they're hanging out. And Jesus comes up to them and says this to them. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Just one simple phrase. But it's life-changing for us if we really understand this. Because this is the definition of what a disciple is. The first one, if you're part of the Men's Summit, this is a part of what you've been learning. It's the definition of a disciple, and it's been really impacting me as I've been going through it and understanding who I am in Christ. The first part that Jesus says, come and follow me. A true disciple is someone that is following in the footsteps of Christ and becoming more and more like him, changing our heart, renewing our minds. The second part that Jesus says is, and I will make you. He is the one that does a life change. A disciple is someone that's not only following Jesus, but he's someone that's continually being changed and having his heart, his or her heart changed by Christ. Romans 12 talks about renewing your mind. You're not living anymore like the pattern of this world, but you're going to renew your mind. You're going to be different. You're going to be changed by Christ. And the final part of the definition is Fishers of men. I love fishing for fish, but I love even more fishing for men. Because Jesus' mission was fishing for men. And that's what we need to be a part of as a disciple. Is not only are we following Christ in his footsteps and being changed by him, but we are committed to the mission of Jesus of reproducing ourselves in others. Our own family and others as well. And so this is one of the things that we need to understand first is we need to really grasp the idea of being a disciple of Christ and following him, being changed by him individually before we can move on to the next generation and care for them. The second thing we need to understand is where we're from, the family of origin. It's amazing how much the family that we grew up in affects us. Our family gives us wounds or they give us wings or they give us a little bit of both. For many of us, we're dealing with wounds that have been brought on by family of origin, things that have come up over our lifetime. But we've also had parents that 
have loved and cared for us possibly, and we've received wings. I think about my parents, and I think about the, the love and affection that I received from them, and seeing my dad studying his Bible and the wings that he gave me to inspire me to study Scripture and know God more. But I know that there are wounds out there, and, and even I deal with wounds. And Chad's just going to go real quick into that uh, and share. Uh, family of origin stuff was a real hot button for me when, when John suggested, what do we want to tell people in the church about passing on faith to the next generation? I sort of blurted out two things. I said, uh, family of origin stuff and engaging the culture. <laughs> Not even giving a second thought to the fact that they weren't really connected or that they were way more than I was qualified to talk about. Um, so, but I did a little, I did a little study. Um, and so real quick, wh- what does it mean family of origin? Well, where'd you grow up? Single parent home, orphanage, pack of wolves, you know? <laughs> where'd you grow up? What was your culture that you grew up in? It really impacts who you are. It impacts how you relate to your spouse, to your kids, your friends. Um, studies have shown that your perception of your earthly father gives you your first perception of your heavenly father. If your earthly father was warm and loving, um, your perception of God tends to be, this is just generalizations, there's not always, you know, some people might not fall into this, but overall it's been studied and looked at um, that your opinion of your dad impacts your earthly, your, your heavenly father. Um, sorry about the iPad. Uh, it's in case I bore myself, I can check my email. Um, um, that's right. Actually, this is the truth. I printed out my whole stuff. And I put it in there, and I tried the whole thing. And it was just too cumbersome. Um, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I wrote down all these different thoughts before I realized, you know, Chad, this is just you spitting up stuff that you know. This is not Bible teaching. And I felt like an awesome responsibility to be up here and have a few minutes to share with you. Um, and I found a, an amazing passage of Scripture that helped me frame this question of why is it important to dig into our family of origin stuff. And we're not going to do that. We're not going to have a big family, uh, you know, group therapy session right here. I know you're all relieved. Um, but I want to look at really quick Hebrews chapter 12, a very, very famous passage of Scripture. Would you flip in your Bibles to Hebrews 12? I'm going to read from the NLT. Actually, I want you to know that I copied and pasted it from a real Bible, so it's, it's good. <laughs> Most of you know this passage of Scripture. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Well, that's a very famous passage of Scripture. We quote that all the time goes on to say some awesome stuff about Jesus. This is what really caught my attention. Uh, Just a little bit later, skip down to verse 9. It's just five verses later, same same letter, almost in the same breath, biblically speaking. It says this, Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the very best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. Isn't it remarkable that in the same breath, Scripture says, put down your sin and unentangle yourself from your burdens. you got to do this stuff. And then in the next breath, it's talking about family of origin stuff. It's talking about daddy issues. There is some resistance within the church about counseling. You know? And there's some good, there's some good points you know, that, that, that counseling can become a, an idol or a god, and we need to only be counseled by Scripture. I just want to urge you and... Um, if, if you have family of origin stuff and you've never worked through it, take the time to do that with, with friends or a counselor or someone who knows how to do it. Um, Pastor Roland, as we were sharing with him this week about what we were going to preach, um, just to make sure that it wasn't heretical, um, he said something that was wonderful, and he's the, he's the head cheese, so you know it's true. He said, um, 
He said, uh, no one is exempt from family of origin stuff. Not a single person. If you had a bad childhood, if your parents were bad to you, it, it, you're gonna have to work through it. You're gonna have to work through it before you can relate to the next generation. And here's the thing. I came from an intact family like John. My family of origin wasn't perfect. I will not give any details since they're sitting here right now. But Last service I know, did. right? They Sorry. weren't perfect. Um, but I grew up with an intact home. We did not have abuse in our house. I, I, had, I had a nice place to grow up. But guess what? It caused some problems in my life. You know why? I deal with the world out there, and I deal with people who just don't get it. And I'm like, come on. What's wrong with you? I got pride. I got pride issues. There's a reason why people behave the way they behave. It's not my place to judge. My family of origin has made it impossible, difficult for me to relate to people in some ways. I gotta deal with that, I gotta process through that, and so do you. Um, again, read through Hebrews 12 a bunch of times and just meditate on the fact that these two ideas live like this in scripture, okay? And um, sorry for being so sort of haphazard with the family of origin stuff. As I did my, my homework during the week and prepared, I, I came to realize and understand that this issue of engaging the culture was the thing that actually was the most intense passion that I had to share, so I had to kind of blaze through family of origin. I feel like we did better this service than last service. I think so. I think so. Engaging the culture, you are, well, well done. done, well done, well done. I salute you, sir. <laughs> um, engaging the culture, we have got to engage the culture. Okay, so I, I started thinking, this is, this is probably my biggest hot button issue. It's the thing I think about the most, to be completely honest. I don't know why God's laid this on my heart, but it, it's just a big deal to me. Because you're teaching from an iPad. I am. Well, I'm so relevant. That's engaging the culture. That's exactly. <laughs> Anyone want to give just, me an iPad? Really... I'm more than welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I just got sympathy, but that's what you know. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, I, I, am, I am really uh, passionate about this topic, so bear with me for a few minutes as I kind of unpack some scripture here. Um, what does it mean to engage the culture? Anybody? What does it mean to you? This is open forum time. What does that mean to you? Is it like, we're engaged, yay, I engage you, culture? Or is it like Captain Picard, you know, like, engage, meaning we're going to destroy the culture. <laughs> like, we're going we're gonna to send that culture back into the far reaches of space. What does it mean to you to engage the culture? Anybody? Going once. What's that? To listen, okay. Awesome. To be able to relate to another's pain. I heard conversation. I really got simple with my definition. I just said, um, if you have ever uh, dealt with another human being, <laughs> you have engaged culture. <laughs> Unless you live on some kind of emotional desert island with only a volleyball as your friend, you are in a culture. Which actually reminds me of my favorite joke about church, but I'll have to save that for later. Um, no, I'm going to tell it. No, please. It's great. It's great. It's a great joke. Are you ready? It's my we were favorite. doing so well. It's my favorite we were doing joke. doing so well. No, it's, it's totally appropriate. Are you ready? So a guy gets stranded on a desert island for years, years and years and years. He's on this desert island, right? He's on his island, not have to deal with anybody. So after all these years, this, this boat comes by and picks him up, and he's so excited. He's finally going to get rescued. But, but before he gets to leave, he wants to show his rescuers where he lived, right? So he brings them back. There's three structures, three buildings there. And uh, he, he says to the boat captain, he says, this is my home. Isn't it beautiful? I've worked really hard on my home. I love my home. This is where I lived. I had to make it nice. And the boat captain says, wow, that's impressive. It's amazing. So he goes to the next building and he says, this is my church. I really wanted to worship here. I wanted to worship on this island by myself. <sighs> you know, it's just really important to me. The boat captain goes, wow, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Because what's that third building over there? And the guy rolls his eyes and he goes, oh, that's my old church. <laughs> <laughs> is that the greatest church joke of all time or what? 
I love that joke. Okay. You are in... Segway back in the engaging right. the culture. Okay. Well done. All right. Second service. We can go long. Um, I found this amazing quote from a pastor in Texas named Bob Deffenbaugh. I read his whole sermon. It was amazing. I never met the man, but I found it online this week. He said this, Culture is something in which we are immersed, and consequently we are rarely conscious of it. It is something akin to asking a fish what it thinks about water or a bird about the atmosphere. How do we even talk about culture? Did we think about what side of the street we drove on today? No. Did you think about sitting next to your spouse rather than segregating by gender as they do in churches all around the world? They do still do that. I think in India they still do that, don't they, Pastor Rowan? We didn't even think about it. You just sat down with your spouse, okay? Culture is all around us. It's subconscious. We don't think about it. Um, in order to explore this idea of how do we even engage the culture, I'm going to spend a fair amount of time, the rest of my time actually, in Acts chapter 15. Would you turn to Acts chapter 15? <coughs> This is by no means a comprehensive teaching on how to engage the culture. It's just looking at one Bible story of how they dealt with culture issues in the early church. Acts chapter 15. I'm in the NLT for whatever it's worth. You have NIV there, but it says this. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. In fact, in the King James, I checked this, it says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. <laughs> they argued vehemently. Okay, moving on. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. Okay, so we're going to stop along the way. We're going to make four observations about dealing with cultural issues in the church. Okay, number one, faith in God and culture clash go hand in hand, so expect it and plan for it. It's going to happen. It happened in the early church. It's happening in your home. It's happening in this church. It's going to happen. Make a game plan and don't flip out. Um, I want to go back and unpack these first two, these first two verses because there's a heck of a lot of story right there in just two verses, right? So here's what's happening. So you've got Paul and Barnabas. They're on a missionary trip up to Antioch, which is a city in Syria, modern-day Syria, hundreds of miles from Jerusalem. They're on this trip. They arrive at this church. They are ministering in this context. They are doing the apostle thing, right? They're staying there. No doubt they're doing some counseling, solving problems. They are pastoring this body of believers, there's a lot of Gentiles, a lot of non-Jewish people that are coming to faith in this context in Antioch. Boom, culture clash. Here we go. You got Paul and Barnabas. They're hanging out in Antioch. While they're there, Scripture says these men from Judea show up, and they have got this other message that they're bringing, and it is this. Unless you're circumcised, you can't be a Christian. Hello. Do you think the men of the church were probably like a little upset by this presupposition of culture? Okay. What's this about? What's going on? Who are these men from Judea? The scripture does not record it. But let's do a little exploration. They are Christians. It's easy to make them look like the bad guy and say, oh, they're legalistic. They're bad. They're legalistic. They're trying to make everybody fit into their own little box. Let's be fair. Okay? These are men who have seen Jesus in real life. They have accepted him as the savior of Yahweh, God's actual son. They are Judaic, right? They serve Yahweh all along. They observe Jesus. They become Christians. They convert. 
And they're coming to this church in Antioch to bring a, what they believe is a wonderful message. Good news, the Messiah has come to begin the restoration of all humanity. Welcome to the greater family of God. We're so excited that you're all here. By the way, about 2,000 years ago, Father God gave this little thing that we do that separates us from the culture. Congratulations, welcome to the family. When should we call the moil? <laughs> right? That's what's going on. These are not the bad guys. These are guys who have a cultural presupposition about what is appropriate to differentiate yourself from the rest of the world. They are not the bad guys. They just aren't. Let's be fair to them, right? Let's not be legalistic ourselves and think they're legalistic. So Paul and Barnabas are like, whoa, <laughs> we're not going to do that. And they argue, okay? So my little, my little engaging the culture pro tip number one, expect that it's going to happen and then make a game plan. Do you notice there that there is absolutely no record of the church of Antioch splitting into factions? There is no new church plant. There is no freak out in the church. They have a grown-up conversation. They argue. They dispute like grown-ups. Vehemently. Vehemently. But it doesn't say that the church freaked out. And when they come to an impasse, you know what they say? They say, all right, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So when culture clash comes your way, plan for it. It's going to happen. Be ready, okay? Number two, let's keep on going. Check this out. This is my favorite part of the whole morning. Verse 3 says, The church sent delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything that God had done through them. Engaging the culture, observation numero dos. Are you ready? When the culture war is getting you down, take a breath. And remember that God is good. When the culture war is getting you down, take a deep breath and recognize that God is good. This is an amazing bit of scripture. I've never heard anybody teach on this, and yet here it is right here in verses 3 and 4. Let's just reflect on what actually happened. It says, the church sent delegates to Jerusalem, not just Paul and Barnabas, the, Judy, the Judaizers too. Right? This delegation goes together to walk from Syria to Jerusalem. They are on the road together walking. They did not Skype it in. They did not text to the church. They did not send a chain email or triangulate. These guys who disagreed with each other took a walk. They took a walk. And along the way, Scripture records them stopping at churches and celebrating what God was doing. Before they had a big fight, we're going to get to the fight in a second, they stopped, they took a deep breath, they took a walk, and they recognized that God was alive and at work. When the culture war is getting you down, take a deep breath, take a walk, link arms with the person that is offensive to you, and recognize where God is working. It's right there in the scripture. Verse 5. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Let's just stop. Who invited these guys to church? Seriously. Have you ever had that experience? You're like, you're at church and all of a sudden someone walks in and they're like, by the way, no more of this. And it's like, oh really? Who invited these yo-yos here? You know what I'm saying? But here they were. Here they were. The Pharisees, former Pharisees who had been saved. And lo and behold, they side with the Judaizers, right? Okay. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve the issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, 
you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their heart through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. It's just a sidebar here. Isn't this amazing that this is knucklehead Peter, Mr. Slice off the ear, Mr. I deny you three times. Here he is, he's grown up. He's been discipled, and he has this incredibly nuanced response to this crisis situation. He doesn't freak out. He's, he's on point. Culture observation number three. Things are not always what they seem. When it comes to dealing with a culture war, things are not always what they seem. Peter is saying... We used to have to do this outward thing to show that we were separate, that we were different. But I got to tell you, I've been hanging out with these Gentiles. I've seen them accept the Lord Jesus. And lo and behold, I have seen the Holy Spirit in their lives. And I don't know what to do with that because they're getting cleansed from the inside. Things aren't always what they seem, you guys. If we're obsessing about the outward appearances, about you can substitute circumcision for anything you want to. Democrat, Republican, Whatever you want. You just substitute it for whatever you like, and it starts to get real personal. And if we are looking at the outside stuff, instead of looking at their heart going, what's the Holy Spirit doing? I think we're in trouble. Okay? Things aren't always black and white. They're not as they seem. It's right here in the scripture. I wrote down, if you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal himself in that other person, you might approach them differently rather than just the surface stuff. Okay? Verse 12 says, Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told them about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, He's going to render judgment, right? There's a conflict. He's about to render judgment. It says this, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. It is written... Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And so, it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. Engaging the culture, observation number four, my final observation. Compromise isn't always a compromise. Okay? We're always told, don't compromise. If you compromise, you're lukewarm, that's bad. Scripture has a, a pretty potent compromise right here in the early church. What James is saying is this. Okay, we are not going to make it difficult for these guys to come to faith. We're not going to do this circumcision thing for them. It's not going to happen. I'll tell you what we are going to do, though. We're going to talk about all these other habits that they're still engaging in that are not okay. We're going to talk about the idols and the food to idols. We're going to talk about sexual immorality. We're going to call them to the cleansing of the heart. 
he draws some boundaries around the church. This is not a plea for you guys to just be all loosey-goosey. We're going to let everything in. Everything's cool. Hey, aren't we a cool church? That's not what this is. We are permitted to draw boundaries around things. But here's the thing. It's not the surfacey stuff. It's the heart stuff. Okay? We're drawing boundaries around heart stuff, and we are compelled, I think here in Scripture, to still do that. So this is not, I hope you don't interpret this as some plea for everything's cool. It's not what this is. We're just looking at Scripture here and acknowledging that we as Christians make it difficult for people to come to faith. We still do this. I'm sorry, we just do. Say, so you want to be a Christian? That's wonderful. By the way, here's how to vote. Here's what you think about everything. Aren't you excited to be a part of this new family of God, mind control? We make it difficult. We make it difficult. We don't talk about hard stuff. We talk about surface stuff, and it's lame. And James says, don't do that. Make compromises that make sense. Deal with hard stuff. Um, as I kind of wrap up here, I just want to point out that um, a lot of the times in church when it deals with the culture, you know, the culture's scary. I got an eight-year-old daughter, <laughs> and she's cute. And we're getting her braces, so her teeth are going to be all pretty, and these boys are going to start showing up, and I'm not, I'm not excited about it. <laughs> So I, I'm, I, don't like, I don't like culture, you know. I read, I read the lyrics to a song, and I, it frustrates me. I still get irritated by them. I still hear a pundit on TV, and I get irritated. I get mad, and I want to wall myself off against this stuff. I want to just be with you good people who believe all the same things that I do, right? Because we all believe the same way here. <laughs> Took him a second. Right. We started laughing. Here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. We are not called to wall off the church. It's just not there. Okay? We are called, actually, in fact, to be secret agent ninjas who are out there transforming the culture. Amen. The culture is not supposed to be scary to us. They're, they're supposed to be scared of us. Right? We are like Jedi mind trick warriors out there. Jesus. Okay? It's like... <laughs> I thought of this last service, but it's like, we need to be out there, you know, to the culture going, these are not the droids you're looking for. Okay. Check this out. Check this out. I hope, that, I, hope that this, I hope that this empowers you, man. Rather than wanting to wall off the church and not engage with culture, with your kids, with your family, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul says, Paul, not Jesus, Paul says this, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jew to Christ. When I was those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find some common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. My friends, do not be afraid of the culture. The Christian church has been infecting and transforming culture for 2,000 years. You don't have to be afraid. The gospel of Jesus Christ will continue to transform culture until he returns to transform it in its entirety. Don't be afraid, because if you're afraid, your kids pick up on it. And what happens is this. They go out and they engage with culture, and they realize that it's just people. It's just people. And they hear all the fear at home, and they hear, oh, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad. 
but their friend isn't bad, and they don't believe you anymore. They don't believe you. I've seen it happen, and I don't want that to happen to my kids. I don't want it to happen to your kids. So if you can, take a deep breath, take a walk, work it out, draw a compromise. What's the heart issue? Don't look at the surface stuff. What's the heart issue? Amen? <laughs> Additionally, the, the fourth point that we want to address is that it's not just about parents in this room. It's not just about those that are married. It's about all of us. 1996, Hillary Clinton wrote a book, a very controversial book. She's bad. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> sorry, I just... Let's take a walk. Let's I, I got to take a walk. Deep breath. I don't know what I'm thinking. Continue. Yes, I will. Thank you. She wrote a book entitled It Takes a Village. And it caused a lot of controversy of her ideas about it taking a village to raise a child. And Bob Dole got involved in the 96 campaign. And, Look how that worked you out. Know, and take a walk. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, you just go over to the piano. I'll go back to my place over here. <laughs> back to the back of the bus. And he, he said, in all due respect, it takes a family and not a village. And in my opinion, I think Bob Dole got it wrong, and I think the heart of that phrase got taken out of context, because I think it does take a family. It's not the government's responsibility to raise our kids. It's not the TV's responsibility or media's responsibility to raise our kids. It's not the youth pastor's responsibility to raise your kids. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to raise our kids. But as a church, as a community of believers, we gather together, young and not so young, <laughs> to raise up the next generation, to be a part of it. I think about people like Jana Berry and Wendy Winningham and Rebecca Green, who lead my daughter's Sunday school class, and Mario Pachifici. I think about Hazel Bodaski and Mary Collins, who love on my son in the nursery and chase him around for a couple hours. It takes more than what parents can give. Yes, there are boundaries and there are influences in our world, some good and some bad. But as a church, as a body of Christ, we're called to be the influence for Christ in the lives of everyone here and in the lives of the next generation. Paul points out in 2 Timothy, his last letter that he writes. He tells Timothy to fan into flame a faith that was first found in his grandmother Lois and was also found in his mother Eunice. And I think about this, and it takes grandparents, it takes parents, it takes college-age students, it takes singles, it takes married, it takes people with wounds, it takes people that have had a great upbringing. The body of Christ is about bringing everyone together, being discipled in and of ourselves first, and raising up the next generation 
and causing them to be followers of Christ, living sold out for him. God has been so good and faithful from generation to generation. It's been 2,000 years since the church began. And he's been faithful every step of the way. And he will continue. But what's our part? We're called to disciple ourselves first. Deal with any issues and wounds that have been dealt with over the years. Engage the culture around us. And become a village of Christians, of believers, that raises up this next generation and draws them into the heart of God. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. As we take our offering, let me pray. Father God, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning. Thank you for these kids that sang their hearts out and shouted their hearts out. God, thank you that we all have a part to play as a body that belongs to you. As a community that gathers together to raise up this next generation to a life that is worthy of you. Thank you for your faithfulness, for providing for us, for caring for us, and for being a God that has been good from generation to generation. Amen.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace this week as you lead and care for this next generation. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.